Hi, this is Aaron Ansrod, and welcome to the 80th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Resentment and contempt remain one of the most insidious and difficult things to overcome. We wish that we could go about life loving all those who have wronged us, taken advantage, or treated us poorly. And yet, despite our finest efforts, we are never quite able to achieve this feat as a number of voices may continue to ring in our heads, reminding us what this person has done to us. On one hand, contempt and resentment may not be such a bad thing as they are a built-in biological mechanism which prevent us from being tricked again in the future. As the old adage goes, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Without the feeling of resentment, we may allow pernicious relationships in our lives to continue and fester. Resentment can sometimes be the catalyst to finally standing up to people that have pushed us too far. On the other hand, contempt can wreak havoc on our emotional well-being as the constant rumination of the many ways in which people have wronged us can prevent us from moving forward with our lives and perhaps allow us to use people as an excuse for our present day failures. Joining me to help find the balance between healthy resentment and forgiveness, I am once again joined by Sam. Sam, I don't want people to keep taking advantage of me, but on the other hand, I don't want to spend my time hating them either. What is one to do? Well, Aaron, you're talking to the right guy because I'm kind of a sucker for toxic uh, relationships <laughs> and people and situations. Um, I talked to my counselor last night and, and uh, we were talking about you know life in the church, which should be you know, better, um, you know, because people are thinking about God more and love more and, you know, Jesus and, um, but it's not, you know, um, church situations can be just as toxic as, uh, as any work environment. And, um, you know, we actually identified a couple of examples of abuse in my past ways that I've sort of been conditioned from an early age, even to sort of not question certain authority structures you know, as uh, Jordan Peterson talks about sort of totalitarian sort of structures, thought systems, and those are present in the church. You know, as Jordan Peterson talks about it, you get over a certain uh, size in any situation and you're going to have sort of a bureaucratic mess. Um, so I found myself in a lot of situations where um, I was, um, for lack of a better word, being abused, you know, or used. And those situations have forced me to think about what it means to take responsibility for my own actions. Um, it's really easy to blame people. Um, I think when you're sensitive, kind of a sensitive person by disposition, which I definitely am, it's easy to uh, internalize things and take things personally. Um, and then just to become uh, hateful, bitter, resentful and, and blame other people. Um, so, um, you know, before this podcast, you actually sent me a, a little link, um, from a Jordan Peterson talk about, you know, if you're in an institution, that's just bringing your soul down, you know, sooner rather than later is the time to speak up, um, because things are not going to get better. And if you're motivated by, um, something other than just sheer pleasure and delight, then you're not going to last long and it will lead to to resentment. So this is a great topic. I'm actually here just as much to learn from you as, as maybe you are to learn from me. 
Absolutely. We're, we're, we're on a journey here together, Sam, and I, I, I think we'll make some headway here. Um, I want to think about this idea that I think Peterson talks about like an institution telling you to do something you know is either stupid or wrong, right? And what ends up happening, and this goes back to our conversation last week, we make the Faustian bargain. We say to ourselves, okay, I need my job, I need my paycheck. And this also happens in relationships that we have with friends. We're like, oh, I can't be alone. I, I, I can't be alone. Um, I don't want to, I, I want to be cool. I want to hang out on a Friday night with friends and not feel alone, right? And what ends up happening is we make the Faustian bargain and we hang out with people that mistreat us or organizations that mistreat us. And on one hand, we get our paycheck on a, or on a Friday night, we're not alone. But what ends up happening is that we may laugh with these people, but if they've wronged us, we start building up collective resentment. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I love that what Peterson says, because we do find ourselves in all kinds of levels of, he, he calls it moronic bureaucracy or something like that, mindless, busy work. And, you know, my, my main my main experience uh, in the working world as a young adult has been in ministry, although I've also worked in the restaurant industry and I can think of a lot of examples of uh, mindless, uh, busy work there too. But I, when I think back to my last job, I just, I can't, I, as Jordan sort of went on in his, in this clip, and maybe you can attach it to the uh, the podcast or something. So people have an idea of what we're talking about here. But um, as we went on, I just kept thinking about my last job and how I knew within, I want to say I knew within days, even weeks, that it wasn't a good fit. I had moved all the way from Iowa, where I was really comfortable. It was where I was from. I had sort of outgrown it, but yet I was still happy and sort of large and in charge and not in a controlling way, just like enjoying kind of way in my community. People knew who I was. And um, I was um, really well situated and I kind of uprooted my whole life and I moved a thousand miles to work with, um, you know, an older mentor of mine. And um, we had never really worked together in that specific capacity. And I would say, you know, and I want to be discreet because this is a public podcast, you know, I would say mostly because of him and our relationship. I knew within, um, you know, days, it's crazy to think back. Um, this was October, uh, it was about two years ago, just a little over two years ago. Um, I knew within days, I just could sense it, you know, like an old person can feel a storm coming in their bones, you know, just like I knew it in my deep sense that this wasn't a good fit. And it was days, weeks at the most. And what do you do? What do you, what should I have done in that situation? You know, like I had just moved my whole life. I had come on with these people and I couldn't just say, yeah, sorry. I, uh, that was a misfire. <laughs> um, like they had hired me. It was a big deal. I did, you know, and I, and I hung on for a while and, you know, there were, there were ups and downs. Um, I'll say one other thing I did meet, uh, a guy I went to college with. I hadn't seen him for almost 10 years. Um, he's also a pastor now, which is great. We can talk shop. Um, and he's told me he moved his wife, um, who is also not well. So this was kind of a big deal, like to move his kind of sick wife and his family all the way across the country from Denver to North Carolina. 
Um, this was, you know, uh, last year, the year before, and to take a new job in, in a church, a ministry job. And it was the same deal. He knew almost immediately, yeah, this isn't a good fit. I just, this is not a good environment. And he left, he left after five months. And I was like, respect for that majorly. Um, and I think that's the kind of stuff we have to do. Even if people say, oh, there goes another flighty millennial can't stay longer than five months or a year and a half. Like, you know, that's whatever. I don't know what that even means. I have heard that said to me, <laughs> but I am, I'm, uh, I'm, in, I'm impervious to it now. I love that. You know, I, I'm glad that you touched upon this phrase, um, flighty, uh, millennial, because I've read so many of these like articles on these career websites. Oh, you need to be at least three years at this job or whatever before you move on to your next. Sam, the biggest regret that I have in my life are not the jobs that I got fired from or the jobs that I, you know, left right away. It's actually the jobs I stayed way too long because if you have, you know, and, and this, it's funny because if you tell somebody I worked at this place for, for one year and it was quite a shit show, it makes for a good story. It makes for a great, funny story. Um, but when you tell somebody I worked at this place for 10 years, it's not such a great story anymore. It's a tragedy. You know, one year is, you know, we all have to do things. We have to all do odd things here and there for money, you know, and so forth. But I think that when we don't move on, that's where the resentment actually comes. And I don't think that us as millennials are like we're flaky, right? I think we've been labeled as being flaky and that we, we, we take off too soon. It's like, no, a lot of these environments that we're inheriting are highly toxic and they're highly corrupt. Like I've, like Sam, I've had so many jobs where I've been asked to do work in Excel or uh, when I was teaching or, or even in college, like I've written many papers. And, and you know what was sad about all of the work that I did is that it was never even checked. No one actually even checked to see if I was doing any of this work, right? And like, you can imagine that we have all of these young millennials that are going to work all day. Uh, they're doing laborious taxing work in Microsoft Excel or other kind of programs. And no one's even checking their work and seeing what the hell it is that they're doing. And that, you know, you can do that for like three months or four months and make a good story out of it. But if that's the entirety of your life, that's creating a system that's festering and breeding long-term resentment. Yeah, we gotta be we gotta be celebrated. You know, I know, I know, and 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 to quote other boomers, you know, or Gen Xers would say, you know, you millennials are not only flaky and flighty, but also you need to be validated and affirmed at every uh, twist and turn. <laughs> I would also reject that too, um, because um, I think that. Maybe we did grow up that way a little bit in the 1990s where we, we needed to be, uh, you know, maybe affirmed and maybe coddled. Maybe that's true. But I, I also think that there's a natural kind of celebration that has to take place um, of each other's work and being, you know, like that's part. That's honestly the reason I moved a thousand miles in 2018 to start a new job was because I wanted uh, people to be witness to my own, the quality of my own work. And um I wanted to witness their work and I wanted uh, that kind of camaraderie and collaboration. And I think that's what that is all about. I, I hope, you know, I hope I come across that way with, with your work. I think what you're doing is, 
is awesome. And I try to really affirm it. I don't even need to really try. It just kind of comes out. And I think that's, that's um, the beautiful thing about collaboration is that we can, um, I get to watch what you're doing, Aaron, and, and really appreciate it and respect it. First, you've been really affirming to me. Thank you, Sam. I, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, there is a distinction that I need to make, and I, I really need to make this very clear for any older people listening and so forth. I'm not after adulation, and I don't think most millennials are. Like, we were, I'm not looking for good job, good job, yay. No, no, that's not what I'm looking for. However, there's a very logical set of calculations that I've made. And one of those logical uh, conclusions is that time is extremely valuable. Time is of, of immeasurable importance. It's probably, other than air and water, our most precious commodity. And what I'm saying is I don't need adulation. However, I don't want to be doing work that isn't benefiting anything. It's not benefiting anyone because that's a waste of my time and it's a waste of society's time. So I'm making a very critical distinction here. And I think maybe 300 years ago, our ancestors never really needed to worry about that because most people were farmers, right? They worked in agriculture. And it's pretty self-explanatory that growing corn and tomatoes is really helpful, right? You eat the tomato, you eat the corn, you feed your family, you feed other families, right? It's pretty self-explanatory why being a farmer is a good job. And the farmer, no matter how bad the season was, no matter how... Um, many plagues or pestilence or famines or, or lack of water or whatever, or droughts, no matter how bad it was, the farmer knew that his purpose in producing food was an inherently noble and just cause. A lot of us are being told to do work that has no utility value. It, it's not being checked. It's not being analyzed. It's not helping the greater society. And it's not, it's not really helping us. We're not learning new skills or actually developing. So it's not a question of adulation and being congratulated. It's a question of being asked to do work that's not benefiting anyone. And that, that my friends, is what's building up the resentment. Yeah, that's why going to New York was such a new lease on life for me in July. I reconnected with my friend, Jeremy. Again, I hadn't seen him for quite a few years. And um, it was more than anything, it was spending time with him and his a little bit of his background on me we've known each other since 2006 since the beginning of college he knows several members of my family um, he knows a lot about my background we actually have similar kind of evangelical big family uh conservative red state families <laughs> and uh, it was just fun to talk to him because he knew me and um he was able to affirm some of my work and, um, you know, I had just left the ministry four months before and he was able to say, you know, like you did a good job, man. Um, and I know that you're kind of, uh, trying to find what's next, but, you know, you need to know that, that your job is not your life, even if it's ministry, it's, it doesn't define who you are. It's not the, the A and Z of who you are. You're more than the sum of your work. And, um, it was he who, um, uh, Jeremy, my friend that also kind of pushed me to get back into the restaurant industry. I was kind of struggling to know what to do. I needed some money. Um, I was looking on Craigslist for opportunities, uh, in New York. And, uh, he's like, why don't you just go back to waiting tables? You're really good at that. 
And uh, I did. And, you know, I didn't make a ton of money because, you know, New York has been in kind of first gear uh, now, maybe not even first gear with the restaurant industry, just kind of slow. And But all that to say how helpful it was just to have a voice from the outside, somebody who could like see me for who I am uh, in the midst of all my strengths and weaknesses and even my past. And to say, here's how I see you. Um, don't settle for too little here because I think that you're actually pretty, you know, special in these ways. Again, not in an ad- adulatory way, as you said, and I think that's great. Um, but but I, I finally got with Jeremy what I was craving when I moved halfway across the country two years ago, which was, hey, let's talk. Let's collaborate. Let's say what we see in each other and draw it out and affirm each other because um, this is not just about making money. This is about dignity and uh, and moving forward. And I, I find it very interesting that, um, and and this is very funny, is that you know both both of us had jobs that are, I guess, fairly respectable in society. You know, teacher and 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 pastor, right? Like fairly important jobs. What I find funny or rather sad about all of this is that there is more meaning to be found. In, in waiting tables and and in all like these these jobs like if you can actually make if you if you're waiting on a table and you actually tell your the 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 patrons or the customer like a funny joke and make them laugh and they really love you as their waiter that actually has a lot more purpose and meaning than working in a congregation and giving a sermon that you really don't believe in. So that's where our generation is actually taking a profound stand is because we're rejecting jobs that might have higher levels of social um, status, right? So where we're giving up, we're foregoing teaching, uh, being, uh, you know, and so forth. And I think that could even be extended to even higher end fields like finance and so forth is that our generation is giving up these jobs that are high paying and high status and realizing, hey, I actually just got a lot more value in having this podcast with you, or I got a lot more value waiting on that table and bringing laughter into that couple's face. You know, maybe, maybe you were waiting on a table and you saw like a husband and wife arguing, and then you came in there with your smile and a good joke. And you kind of, you kind of broke that awkwardness or you broke the misery that was going on at that table. And that's of so much more value. That's like, that, that, that is of infinitely more value than some guy just, trying to short the books or something like that at some financial institution. And that's not laziness. That's not us being like a wayward lost generation. We're actually very found, like we're, we're very like aware and a very perceptive generation. Yeah, man. Well said. And I love the word wayward and wayward versus found makes me think of the parable, the prodigal son, although that doesn't have a whole lot to do with, with what we're talking about, but does that's some beautiful language. And yeah, I mean, when I was in, I, I, I worked at a, a restaurant called Rabbit Hole in Williamsburg for three months this summer. And uh, I wasn't planning on staying in New York and I did for three months and uh, made some money and met people and spread some joy. It was fun. Hopefully no COVID. <laughs> but, um, you know, there were a couple of times where people were just hungry, waiting on the curb, waiting to get in. We only had, you know, eight tables or seven tables in the back, four tables in the front, something like that. It was super limited capacity and everybody was crazy for their brunch and um, coming in hungry and hangry and all formats of that. And, you know, sometimes 
it'd be as simple as, you know, like there were the, these two parents and they had a little girl in a stroller and, you know, um, she was, they couldn't get in right away. And kind of, like you said, kind of, uh, kind of on a, a rocky ground a little bit, uh, you know, as a family. And I, I was like, I'm going to get you in as quickly as possible. And, and I brought her out a scone, blueberry scone. And, and um, the girl started munching on it. It was like, her eyes brightened, you know, like, like her whole disposition changed. And, um, I became like their little, their like hero in that moment. And, uh, you know, and that's a snapshot. That's like a flower that's beautiful on a, on a, on one day. And then obviously it fades. Like that's just a memory now. It's a good story. That, that is kind of what I'm after. It's sort of like this, um, you know, after good experiences and, and, and sent sort of you know, sending out good vibes. And, um, you know, it's easy for me to talk about that because like, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids. I don't even really have a, a home right now. And so it's like easy for me to go to New York for three months and spread joy in that way. And then, you know, and I'm in South America right now for six weeks and I'm experiencing things down here. And I, I, I do think, though, in the kind of heart of hearts of millennials who are a lot of whom are working from home right now or co-working spaces and doing their their corporate jobs and, and making a good salary and probably some good money. I think in their heart of hearts, they probably wanted to do more things like this, you know, move to an American city of their choosing for uh, a time. And I'm, and I'm not holding myself up as a standard. You know, I, I have one outfit to my name right now. So, so don't, don't follow my example, uh, all the way, but, you know, figure it out. But I think that you're right. I think we are in search of adventure and meaning and purpose. And I think we're a lot more found than meets the eye. Um, I think millennials, um, if I could charge millennials to do anything is just to be a, a little bit more bold and, but be bold without being, um, uh, without having a chip on your shoulder. And we've talked about this. If you want to, push forward a lifestyle or a way of life or a worldview or an approach, do it and do it with gusto and, um, but, but do it with winsomeness and joy. Um, that's, that's the point. Yes. Yes. And, and don't, don't be pretentious when you're doing it or, or try and like basically spread your ways onto others who are perfectly content and happy with, with their thing. And that's not the goal of this podcast at all. You know, like if you're, if you're 100% happy, you know, share your happiness with me, tell me the secret. <laughs> um, I want to um, pivot the conversation a tad here. So both of us have had, we, we both of us actually have kind of chips on our shoulder in, in a way. There's many people that have wronged us and there's actually many institutions that have wronged us, right? And on one hand, I'm, I'm saying to myself, I can't forget the past, right? Because if I forget the past, history will repeat itself, right? So if I'm just like, oh, you know, like that happened three years ago, it won't happen again. I'm a fool. I'm an absolute fool if I think that going into the same exact situation, if I if I expect that I re-enter a similar situation, I'm going to get a different outcome. I am sadly mistaken. So on one hand, if I if I just erase the past and every single year is like a reset button, I'm I'm actually making a very foolish move because you have to change. You have to adapt. Like as a species, your survival depends on adapting and figuring out what's going on in your environment. On the other hand, Sam, 
I don't want to be this jaded guy who's like, yeah, society's all corrupt. I, I hate everyone out there. They're all a bunch of liars. Liars, I tell you. You know, so I have we have to figure out a way where we can still be joyful for people. We can still be happy. We know that there's corrupt institutions and corrupt actors out there, but it doesn't, it doesn't like bleed into our perception of reality. I think that's the important thing is that we're mindful of who has wronged us and, and all the transgressions that have happened in the past, but it doesn't give us a negative, cynical, jaded outlook. And I'm wondering if you have any tips or any gems. Yeah. Fantastic question. A um, couple Bible things that come to mind. And again, I just mean these as like, receive these as good sayings or, or, or however you want to receive them. It's just kind of my, my language group here. But, you know, um, one of the sayings of Jesus is that we should be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I like that because it's like, we kind of have to take note of the people that hurt us and the institutions that hurt us. I think it would be really idiotic for me to step back into some, some relationships in the past. I think like that, isn't that like the definition of insanity or something? You know, we try something that doesn't work again. And so, and that, and that could be with individual people that could be with, um, you know, an institution, um, even a specific like church or, or, or business even where, you know, I have some good memories, but I also, I also know that there was um, there was some harm done there um, and it, it was a, a toxic place for me in some ways. How do I deal with that? I need to have um, just a sense of myself in the midst of that. And, um, and, and so you're right. I think this is kind of the challenge of uh, being, uh, being a person on earth is like, you want to stay fresh and open to people around you and especially new people. You don't want to hold grudges. You want to you want to be forgiving, uh, but you want to maintain space uh, for people um, in a mature way. And um, I don't have the silver bullet on that. I think I want to acknowledge just how difficult that is, and how difficult that's been for me. Um, you know, right now I have some pretty pretty challenging relationships that I need to work through and process. And um, I'm finding a lot of help with, with counseling, honestly, just having somebody that's a friend, but not a friend in the same way you and I are friends, kind of just, you know, two kind of bros, but like somebody that you're actually paying to, uh, you know, do this service for you, kind of like a, an electrician or plumber or something, you know, somebody that is professionally uh, certified to, to help you work through things. So that's, that's probably been the biggest thing for me right now. Um, and giving myself space, um, uh, literally space. Um, and there's no, no wrong in that. I actually want to go to this Jesus quote that you just used here. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. I, I think we may actually have the answer in, in that very sentence. Because even, even Jesus is telling us that we have to have the wisdom of our collective experiences with us at all times, right? We know who we have a tally of who's wronged us, who's done right by us and so forth. And that does give us a serpent like essence. So we do have like a, a, a certain, like, because, you know, it's not a good feeling to be that wise. It's not that good feeling to be like, Hey man, you owe me 500 bucks. 
from three years ago. Like it's not good to be like that, but even Jesus is kind of telling us that in order to be a well-rounded individual, we need to have the wisdom of the serpent within us at all times, even though it doesn't make us feel good. When he says innocent like a dove, okay, well, doves fly, right? So a, a dove flies from place to place. So maybe, and the serpent actually lives on the ground, right? So the serpent, I'm assuming snake, right? Snake moves very slow. It's on the ground. So the snake is, is in a static location and is unable to traverse very quickly. So it is wise. The serpent is, is stuck to the ground, stuck in the corrupt bureaucracy, stuck in the corrupt institution. Therefore, it has to be wise because it has no legs and it cannot fly away. Whereas the dove, the dove has the ability to fly to new places. It has the, the ability to escape from corrupt places. And when it flies to a new place, it should not bring the jadedness of the old place to the new place. It should be innocent upon entering that new place. I, I think Jesus has it there, man. I love that analysis. I love that breakdown. The snake really can't escape. And the dove, you know, by nature is usually white or, or, or something like that. And there's an innocence, but you're right. Like it has the, the freedom, the footloose freedom to, to go where it needs to go. And uh, yeah, I, I, I've always loved that saying. And, and Jesus actually says it to his followers. They're about to sort of go out and take his message into the world. And he knows that, you know, some of them are going to be hoodwinked, you know, some of them are going to be hood, uh, hoodwinkers even maybe, um, and um, maintaining the wisdom of, uh, of a serpent in the midst of that is just crucial. And, and I, I love the Bible's emphasis on wisdom. There's a whole section in the Bible called wisdom literature, but, and at the same time, maintaining kind of a guilelessness and innocence, a purity. And I really just mean that in terms of relationship. I think like there's a certain transparency that every relationship requires. And, um, and that's, that's been hard for me. I think that balance is um, really difficult. Um, you know, one of the things that's hardest for me um, when I feel resentment bubbling up is just being honest with people and telling them um, that I need space. But I feel like if it's gotten to that point, I don't even have what it takes to talk to people anymore. Again, I, I, I just wanna underscore what I said at the beginning is like, I'm just as, just as much in search of an answer here as, uh, as you are or as anybody is. You know, I, I, you know what's amazing, Sam? And I have to, you've really helped me a great deal because I used to think that, you know, that the, the Bible was this, like, there was like a definitive answer, like there's a very straightforward path that one must lead. But these discussions are really helping me a great deal, because the Bible is actually a much more nuanced document than, than meets the eye. It actually realizes, it, the document itself realizes, like in that sentence you just shared, it realizes that there's a time for this and a time for that. There's a lot of different twists and turns that happen to a, a, an individual or, you know, over the course of their life. And I, I think that that, that that is something that we need, we, we need to understand. And like, 
I think that like to someone who's not familiar with scripture, they would be like, of course, resentment is bad. Of, co- of course, that's an evil thing. Away, away, away with you resentment, right? But even the Bible is smart enough to tell us like, no, 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 no. There is a time for like resentment and that resentment is packaged under the serpent thing of wisdom, right? It's, it's kind of in there, but then there's a time to, to let go of the resentment and then fly away into like greener pastures. And this is something that takes a lot of hard work and actually takes a lot of discipline and concentrated effort to sort of figure out. And, you know, I I was just having like these, you know, attending meetups, like, oh, do we need the Bible anymore? Can we just use science and those other stuff? And I'm like, my friends, like we're dealing with a book that's been around thousands and thousands, you know, with the Torah and New Testament, like these books, and, and let's just throw Buddhism and all these books have been around for thousands of years, thousands. And it's like, these folks have a lot more wisdom than meets the eye. Like, you're just not seeing it. It's like an iceberg, man. You're just, you're looking at just like the, the, the part of the iceberg that's sticking above the water, but you're not, when you start getting down the rabbit hole, you start seeing the whole chunk of ice that's underneath the, the, the freezing layer in the Arctic. Yeah, it would be, it would be foolish to, to throw that, that heritage away from any faith tradition. I mean, it would be like, tampering with or destroying archaeological evidence um we're we would be you know shooting ourselves in the foot it it would so you know there's a lot that's that's really hard to swallow and process and interpret in the bible i don't want to ever admit uh otherwise but you're right there these i mean that's why podcasts are so beautiful because it gives you an opportunity to sort of bridge a gap to um to process as you go to to make a journey from point a to point b and on the way, we can draw on this wisdom literature, and we can draw on um, the insights of uh, of of these books. Um, but we can still um, kind of do it do it our way. And I, I love that opportunity on this podcast. I want to come back to one thing you said, and I, uh, I thanks for your your patience here with my thought process. But you know, going back to work and and you know, you, you kind of confided in me and I don't want to go into any details, but like how the um, issue of resentment for you, you've seen that historically bubble up kind of in the area of, of your work, you know, the things that you're doing and um, putting your heart and soul into and taking your time to do. And um, I just think it's so important to ask each other about our work. Um, my, my sister-in-law had a, a podcast called raw jobs for a while um, and I loved the podcast. She only did like five episodes, but but basically it was like uh, she would ask one of her friends to come on and talk about their job in just a raw way, you know, like no jargon, no lingo, no hype, just what do you do? Tell us what you do. And I think that that's really dignifying to people to ask people what they do. And sometimes it's boring and you kind of have to keep your ear to the ground on that conversation but it's extremely dignifying um, to ask and be inquisitive about people's jobs. And, uh, you know, being a pastor is probably right there at the top of the category of jobs. People don't know what you do. I mean, you preach once, once a week on Sunday morning. Um, I always joked, I have my one hour of work, you know, I gotta go get ready for my one hour of work, man. That's a pretty good hourly wage. The farmers would say, but, uh, but yeah, just uh, that's a great way of affirming each other. And um, I think when our jo- our work isn't sort of checked and asked about and analyzed, um, that we uh, 
that's a really great place for uh, the seeds of resentment to, to, to grow and to fester um, because our work is so integral to who we are as human beings. I think, I think you kind of answered the, the, the last question or approached the answer. And that is, when is it time? Like, so once we transform to a dove and we fly away from that place that has hurt us, I'm wondering when, when is it like, we can still have the, the wisdom of the serpent within, within us, but I'm wondering when do we just say, you know what? that person that hurt me was probably in a lot of pain themselves. And that's why they did what they did, or they were also a part of a oppressive institution. And I forgive them. And I, I think that's like the final question, because I do ultimately feel that forgiveness, even if you don't outwardly, you know, tell them, like, I don't just randomly call people that have hurt me and said, Hey, dude, I forgive you. Just, just letting you know. But like, I think that that process of, of saying, eventually, I'm not going to be fooled by you again. I'll, I'll never be fooled by you again. However, I fundamentally don't hate you anymore. And I forgive you. You're never going to re-enter my life. I'm never going to have another transaction with you, or I'm never going to have another transaction with this institution ever again. But I think that that, that forgiveness is to some degree required I wonder how long that takes. Do we just know magically when the right time is to forgive that person? The, you know, that I don't really have the answer to yet. These are great questions. Um, you know, I'm glad that we live in the world we do. We have a little bit of space and freedom and opportunity to, um, to get space from people. I really, 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 really don't like you. I can just never see you again. <laughs> um, I can hide you on Facebook. I can move to another city. I can quit my job. You know, there's opportunities. And I like Jordan Peterson's advice, you know, always have kind of a way out, have like an escape route. Um, you know, if you need to quit a job, you need to sort of plan ahead and stuff like that. And I, I, I can't imagine what it was like back in, you know, again 300 years ago in the agrarian economies where you know you couldn't hide you couldn't just remove somebody from facebook you had to see them every day and and what do you do and, I, and i've lived in small town iowa and 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 there is that dynamic you can't you can run but you can't hide a little bit um and there's people brothers that i know that haven't talked to each other for nine or 12 years because of some disagreement um, about inheritance or how something was handled in their family some grievance, you know, that's not healthy. And obviously we would say that's not healthy. They need to figure that out. And, but we have the same situations. It's just more scattered. Um, I, I think we have, we're human. And the only way I know to deal with some of these things is uh, to either ask or just to take time off from a relationship um, space. And we have the freedom to do that. And we need to do that. Um, I think it's, healthy and normal. Um, I do think we have to come back with people sometimes and um, we do have to forgive. I think that uh, a lack of forgiveness, um, bitterness, it will corrode our souls. Um, so this is uh, a major act of self-care. We need to, to uh, I think that's probably the prime category here is we're, we're taking time off, we're asking for space for the preservation of our own souls listening to you speak something also just occurred in my head and that is i think that starting this podcast for me 
has actually allowed me to forgive mentally, at least, if not outwardly, mentally forgive some of the people that have done wrong by me. And I think that the worst thing that we can do when we fly away is just fly away to some island and live in the world of resentment and rumination. I think those are the two most dangerous things that we can do because when we just depart, fly away, and then we sulk, right? Like I think the natural urge is to find an island and sulk and be like, the world has wronged me, have that chip on your shoulder. But I think the next component to this is to you know, fly away, find a new island, but then start building a new house for yourself and start building a new world for yourself. And I think that that is the, the missing piece to resentment. It is like, you have the wisdom of the serpent, you're in a new location, but then start creating new life, start creating a new world for yourself. And then once you are happy and satisfied and, and fulfilled building that new world, then I think granting that forgiveness will come so much, so much easier. Sam, thank you so much for being on the show today, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This concludes the 80th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.